0: Okay, guys. So great. Thanks very much. Thanks for sticking to Niklas's extended time. Thanks, Niklas, for giving us five minutes. I don't know where he is. Um, So yeah. So we've had, I think, some interesting start to the day in terms of some of the content we've got. Um, So for the next uh, session between sessions between now and lunch, we we're covering, I suppose, we're sort of building on that TCF theme and sort of having a look at specific products aimed at a very specific target market and hopefully we'll answer the question about does customer segmentation work? Um, And I'll introduce the speaker there now. We'll then move on and look at some elements that are critical to pricing of insurance contracts, so setting the price and then also setting the the, the valuations of that in terms of mortality. Um, And then we'll look at how we need to look at measurement going forward. So we've got a sort of reasonably varied rest of the morning um, from uh, from product into into product product and, and valuation Um, uh, technical aspects all the way into into reporting. So first up, uh, we we welcome uh, Mark Tyson, um, who is um, an um, entrepreneur in the insurance sector and in the micro-insurance space. Um, I'll read his bio because it's structured very differently and I quite like it. Um, So he believes that our generation is tasked with uh, the urgent responsibility for making the world a better place. Um, He's an entrepreneur, having founded a number of businesses which uh, continue to be successful today. His current venture, which we'll be talking about today, is Zing. It's an amazing business that started its quest in 2015 to discover uh, the financial industry's uber moment, specifically for customers who have limited or no access to financial services. Um, And as I say, he's been in the industry. He's been a management consultant. And so we welcome him, and we look forward to your talk. Thank you, Mark.
1: Thank you, everyone. Um, I thought at the tea break only a few people would come back. Um, Microinsurance is is, um, at the tipping point in terms of a hot topic. Um, If any of you guys haven't researched or gone into microinsurance, there's hordes of information. There's hordes of uh, NGO organizations involved in microinsurance. There's actually a lot of data now today um, in terms of the specific segments on microinsurance. Um, I want to share with you guys, um, we started um, three years ago with this business, um, so that's the nature of uh, InsureTech businesses. They actually, uh, you know, a day in our life is probably, um, we joke about it, but maybe three months in a legacy Insure. Uh, we, we move fast and forward every single day. Uh, what counted for, tom- for yesterday doesn't count for tomorrow. Things move very, very po- fast in our organization. Or in this typical organisation, and we come into a more um, agile type business. So in three years, we have secured licences in three territories. Uh, when we started out in Zimbabwe, there was not a microinsurance policy framework. We got involved in the formation formulation of the microinsurance policy framework in Zimbabwe. Uh, it took nine months from beginning to end, and we were the first recipient of the microinsurance policy licence in Zimbabwe. So I have licence number one. Uh, my problem is that there's uh, about six noughts in front of the one But effectively, We are on number one We're working with the regulators also in Malawi. We've been issued um, Also a license there. It's a funeral license because they're behind with their micro insurance policy framework and they got so excited by our model that they actually uh, Took an old funeral license that was off the shelf and put it back on the shelf and issued us the funeral license uh, we in Zambia as well we Actually, pushing forward um, with a long term license because there wasn't a microinsurance license. Uh, we've paused that because if you guys know or any of you guys track these kind of things, the 14th Microinsurance International Conference is in Zambia, in Lusaka, and uh, we suspect they are going to uh, launch the microinsurance policy framework in Zambia at that time. So it's been an exciting journey. It's been three years. The customer was not at the center of our value proposition when we started out. We had to learn the hard way but it 's great that I follow the TCF presentation because I want to say to you guys that I actually think TCF is dealing with the symptoms and not the cause and the cause sits with value proposition. you have to understand the customer in terms of the complete value chain, not just products and pricing of products but the complete value chain so how are you going to serve as the customer? How do you process claims how do you that 's access that 's giving access to the customer if the customer has to travel. You know, um, and spend $100 on travel to go and get a $500 claim paid out. It's, it's really not good. So when you look at the value chain, you have to look at the full value chain and understand where's the customer. So one of the things we did is, I mean, obviously with all businesses, you do spend time understanding which segment you're playing into. Uh, we just went into these countries initially and thought we are going to work with uh, the poorest people what we discovered is at the very bottom of the um, income segmentation is that the poorest people cannot afford premiums anyway. And when you start to understand these societies and how they manage, because they're very societal, the societal cohesion is very, very, very strong. So I can probably draw a graph, uh, but the wealthier you are, the less the social cohesion, and the poorer you are, the higher it is. So the social and society forms a very, very big. Peace in the lives of these people. And you find that society actually helps the very poorest in those societies. So they don't need to take out premiums. So we pinpoint ourselves at actually the mid foundation, not the lower foundation, up to the mid mass market space. Actually, what's emerging now out of our model, because we've launched now into Zimbabwe, we're actually picking up that it's actually more top of the foundation space rather than the mid foundation space, um, who are effectively our start customers. And they take out funeral risk. For the family, they try and cover their kids and the rest of the family and all these things. That's their start of the journey. But that's the segment. This is the segment that when any calamity um, arrives in their life, they lose everything. Uh, but everything might be a cow, might be a bicycle, it might be a wheelbarrow. So these are the assets they accumulate. And when there's a death in the family, they have to get rid of these assets to actually bury their loved ones. Going a level lower into the actual segmentation and understanding the profile of the customer is absolutely key. Uh, We only learned this lesson, so in this three-year journey, I think we were in year two and a half before we realized we need to stop guessing from our offices in, in, in Stellenbosch in the technology park there, and we thought we have to get out on the ground. That was two and a half years into the journey. We'd gone to the internet, we Googled everything, we read World Bank data, we went to GSMA data, and we decided this is what the client wants. And uh, the big difference is that we went on the ground. Um, I've actually learned, just as a sideshow, um, I like to do these kind of things. So I thought at the beginning of last year, I'm going to learn 20 words in every language where I'm working in Africa. Um, and the reason why I wanted to do that is when, when you engage with customers at that level and you can be And by the way these 20 words are the 20 polite words. So it's good morning. How are you? Welcome. Thank you I appreciate it. You look beautiful today It's those 20 important words and my whole life has changed because of that, but the conversations I'm having have also changed. So where I was engaging with a customer, the customer was actually telling me what I wanted to hear Versus being able to engage when you get into this special space with a customer where they tell you what they want to tell you. And that's very, very key. So, if I can give you guys any advice, go out on the ground. Don't do clipboard surveys and tick, tick, tick and questions or whatever. Go and see the people, the communities, because they'll tell you what needs to be done. We were talking about TCF earlier, so just two tips I'd give you. In Africa, I think Paul made a point about it, but in Africa, TCF isn't um, regulated like it is in South Africa, um, in, in a way, but it is happening. And uh, one of the things that we've gone and done is we, we... So I'm not a fellow of the Actuarial Society, but I am a fellow of Smart Campaign. So you guys can Google Smart Campaign. It's great. You can put the logo on your internet site and what, all of these kind of things. But Smart Campaign is TCF, but it's across financial services. Specifically at the bottom end of the market, insurance isn't the solution. It's a combination of things. And uh, so we, we've adopted the smart campaign um, as our TCF and, and we, we live it. Um, I was, um, I'm the group operating officer, so yesterday I was going through all of, the, all of the business requirements that we have to complete in the next cycle. We have these six month windows. And I was going through the list, and every single requirement started off with the words the customer wants to the customer wants to. Every single requirement, it's not the shareholder wants to or we want to. It always starts off with phrasing it as the customer wants to. So very, very important this profiling and I think this is going to actually deal with the cause of treating customers fairly vis-a-vis the TCF outcomes which are important because they do deal with the symptoms and in a way police what actually hasn't been done correctly in the first instance. I've got a slide later on, so you can see the reaction, because we launched in Zimbabwe. Um, you know, you do these kind of things, you, you pre-launch and see with your value propositions and sticks, and you'll see there's a picture of the bus It was like an apple moment. We had people coming to us because we limited the number of policies we wanted to issue in that first phase to 2,000 families, and we had hordes of interest coming at it. I've got pictures of that which I'll share with you later. So this is some of the takeouts that customers are sharing or did share with us. We have to travel far to get the insurance. It's not about selling the insurance. The TCF moment isn't that initial sales interaction. Actually, it's more important what you do afterwards. So travel is out. We have to find other mechanisms to be able to sit there and service customers. They don't trust insurers. They see these big, beautiful buildings. I just came out here at Stanton Station. I was with Old Mutual and the last time I was in Joburg, because I just got past here on the way to Africa, was uh, before that, there was that old steward house there. They, it's now the Old Mutual building and I walked out. These customers feel offended when they see all of that. So we have to change the way we're operating and thinking. We understand, they, they actually do understand the importance of funeral insurance. I was actually in Malawi with a Muslim uh, grouping in Malawi. Uh, it's a room, it was sheikhs from the Muslim Association, all the sheikhs uh, from Malawi and probably this half of the room would have been about the number of sheikhs that were in the room and for 45 minutes they kept on jumping up and said we need the family insurance. We need the family insurance, we need the family cover. So the demands there the issue is how do we do it efficiently and how can, and efficient doesn't mean only from a shareholder perspective, but it's efficient in all ways. Insurance companies have lost caring, that's one of the dilemmas that I picked up. Um, I come from the era, I'm a bit uh, um, older than some of you guys, but I saw South Africa move from um, uh, effectively uh, mut- uh, mutuals to demutualizing and listing. It doesn't mean we, go, we have to go back to mutuals but we certainly have to have more of a mutual mindset. And the way you have a mutual mindset is to put the customer first, not the shareholder. Put society first, not the shareholder. If you get that right, you're in the right space. And the interesting thing is the last thing people, so of all of this, there's a demand for it. But you must understand that to try and get a share of wallet at the bottom end of this market is very, very difficult. They are surviving. So if you could put Maslow products in a pyramid, these people, interestingly enough, take DSTV before the insurance. And so, why would you think that? Well, the kiddies sit and watch DSTV and they learn how to speak in American. You know, they, 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 they watch these American programs. That, so, DSTV is quite important in their lives. Obviously, soccer is massive in Africa. It's absolutely massive. So, you have to have DSTV for soccer. So, one of the challenges that when you move into the bottom end of the space, Um, into the bottom end of the segment is the economic development aspect goes hand in hand with insurance. You cannot do insurance without economic development. The problem with that is that it's going to cost more. So we'll sit in the room and say, but where are we going to get this money from? How do we do this differently? And the one angle is to actually look at your combined ratios. So I've got a term life uh, example there. Uh, In Africa, the distribution allocation sits at uh, 17%. This, by the way, is for micro insurance on average. Um, the um, admin ratio sits at 22% and claims at 51%, oh, Sorry, 45% of premium. So the most important thing, the Uber moment in insurance for us was, so if you guys know what happened with Uber, uh, these guys were in a pub somewhere, I don't know whether it was in London or USA, but they were trying to see how do they disrupt the taxi industry. And they're having a conversation, and because they were consumers of the taxi industry, they could have a meaningful conversation around value proposition. And what turned out is they said, So, what do you hate about taxis? And it ended up being when I have to pay the taxi driver at the end of the trip. That is the worst part of the experience because he jippers me, he, he, he punches a button, and suddenly adds $10 on the trip, and he drives the other way around. I hate it. So, all Uber did, it's so simple, they moved the process to the beginning. But then they weren't sure, so they said, Well, let's, we're in the app world, so let's make sure that what we're doing is the right thing. Let's allow the driver to rate the passenger and the passenger to rate the driver. So, our Uber moment in insurance, I can tell you, is around claims. If we can process claims faster in the segment, then we have the holy grail, because it'll go viral. People get excited about it, it'll go through the markets very, very quickly if you can process claims. Now, I'll give you an example. That the MNOs have actually led the microinsurance uh, initiatives in Africa. They stole the lunch. Hopefully, there's no MNOs in the room. But I'm an insurance man. They stole our lunch. They led with us. They arrived at the insurance companies and said, "We want to add a value-added service product onto our portfolio or onto our core GSM data airtime or onto our core business." The insurance companies heard millions of customers, and they did these deals with an the MNOs. These deals were not led by insurance company mindset or thinking. So, the problem that you have is in Africa. So, we, we've got a proxy in, in Africa as a starting point. You pay a dollar, and for a dollar, you get $500 of cover. This is term life. It's impossible. So, the claims ratio allocation for that is 13%. Now, you guys can pull out your calculators because if you use a mortality um, experience of about 8 to 9, depending on where you're in Africa, it's impossible for that insurance business to make a profit. It's impossible on the mortality experience. Yet they're doing it and they're getting away with it. And it's because it's been led by MNOs and not led by insurance mindset and thinking. So these things have to change. So I don't know this previous panel were talking about the issue around TCF. It's the claims is the problem. We're not paying out all of our claims. You need to design the process and the systems to be able to pay out all of the claims. So when you do a product design, all the valid claims, obviously the invalid ones you're not going to pay, but all the valid claims, you need to chase unclaimed assets in those markets. You need to sit and chase, not like we had this initiative. I don't know how far it is in South Africa, but I know we had this major initiative driven by the regulator on unclaimed assets. You need to be able to chase this um, and take responsibility for actually sitting there and making sure that you pay out these claims. So we've designed. So on the right-hand side, you see we've got a different model, so we've just moved these things around. But what we have done is we freed up the possibility to increase the claims ratio. So we're sitting at fifty-one percent, opposed to forty-five. Our pay out claims instantly. I must say to you that there's a lot of um, checks and balances that happen before we do it, and I'm going to show you a video clip later of exactly how that process works. Um, so th- there's a lot of big data coming into our platform. We have to be able to. Ma- um, and, uh, we're not worried about an individual who's going to be fraudulent and try and process a claim for $500. dollars. We're worried about syndicates hitting our platform, and so we have. Uh, key risk indicators on our platform that happen automatically. I'll be in a restaurant and it'll tell me there's a problem. Uh, so um, these are the ways we manage these things. Uh, but it's key. So combined ratio is actually where we started. We actually said, let's unpack this thing. Let's fix it up and try and get it going. The nice thing is that we've ended up with an 81%. So we've actually extracted a bit more profit on there for the shell. because that benchmark of 84% is the international benchmark for combined ratios in term life products. So you're sitting with a 16% pre-tax profit and obviously post-tax will be in the region of 14% or so. Okay. Then there's this middle piece. You'll see I call it a building grant capacity. To grow out and grow these markets requires capital. So in the allocation of any product you should be allocating the capital required to create the necessary capacity to deliver that product in markets. And at some point you'll break even. You'll have sold enough policies but you should be monitoring that. What we did is we went and partnered with grant providers. There's trillions of dollars available. All that needs to happen is the insurance industry needs to match with these partners and they're prepared to make these investments. There's major grant initiatives around financial inclusion. If you're doing anything around financial inclusion, you'll get guys excited about your value proposition. So that's one way to actually reduce the cost of the product. Take it away from the shareholders. The shareholders' equity will come in at 25 to 20 to 35 percent, depending. In our business, it's more in the 25 to 35, but a stable business will be sitting at 20 percent requirements around return on capital. We don't use that capital, so it's kind of like great for parts of our business. In the three countries that I mentioned, we're actually already doing work and grants work in four countries. So I've got Malawi, Zimbabwe, Zambia, and we're doing work in Egypt. So. On the 1st of this month, we actually started doing work in Egypt as well, to effectively start building up capacity. And that's securing the licenses, uh, getting the MD in place, putting the office down on the ground, getting our distribution network up and running. It's all part of that. And then reinsurance on the right-hand side. When I started this journey three years ago, I was adamant that reinsurance was absolutely something that we had to build into the model and not try and self-insure. Either self-insurance specifically around this type of model Uh, creates complexities in the back end that are not necessary. So I was even prepared to pay premium for the reinsurance, knowing that it's sorted. I wouldn't have to worry about it. But it also supports the solvency to requirements from a customer perspective, because it actually protects the solvency risk for a customer perspective by having the reinsurance. So it's interesting around the policy frameworks. I think reinsurance is going to have a big impact on solvency capital requirements and minimum capital requirements, in that it will be brought more and more by the regulators into the equation. Uh, in order to reduce the actual startup capital requirements. We started out in these three countries, my capital requirement was eight and a half million dollars. We actually did it with four hundred thousand dollars in engagement with regulators. And that's necessary. And the reason why we are able to do it is because we bolted in the reinsurance component. Obviously there are elements in Africa because you have to reinsure portions onshore and offshore and all of these things and give a bit to the own to the economies. Um, So we do a bit of that. But other than that, there's no doubt in my mind, um, the reinsurance reduces the risk, stabilises the premium rates, uh, reduces profit fluctuations, volatility, and lets us focus on what we should be doing. Not the zero sum game of trying to chase um, risk profit on underwriting or reinsurance. The next slide I've got is around So, what are the ideal channels in this micro-insurance space? Well, all the channels still count. So obviously the MNOs came from the right-hand side and put in USSD, but actually it's a makeup of everything. Um, this market still needs a combination of assisted and self-direct. So obviously from a shareholder perspective, our shareholders want to move to self-direct, but it's a journey. The thing is that because it's a journey, you have to invest in all those channels from the start. So you have to create branches, you have to be clever about how you create branches. They can't be bricks and mortar. You have to think about how these things are done. So that branch picture there on the left-hand side is actually our branch. It's a kiosk, but um, it's not an m looking kiosk. It's actually got electricity plugged into it. Um, it's, got, uh, it's cool enough inside there, it's got very good panelling, so in Africa it doesn't get hot inside there. The guys actually come from underneath the trees to sit inside our kiosk because it's cooler. Um, I, I actually arrived at one kiosk where the guy had his lounge furniture there. He said, no, it gets quiet for uh, uh, sometimes during the day, so i just sit on the couch. Um, so they're quite big. Our kiosks are quite big. But the great thing is I can lift them up on a crane and move them around to the customer. I can take these things to the customer. We still have a call center. We actually have a call center operating in um, Stanamosh. It's a virtual call center. Um, the, the way the customers call into the call centers, they SMS. Our systems automatically pick up the, the SMS and convert it into a task in the call center and they call the customer back within five minutes. Um, so it's a call me back service and it works great in Africa. We're dealing now with looking at toll-free numbers in, in Zimbabwe. It's a nightmare. It's all cabling. It's all wires. So now we have to have a PABX in our office in, 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 in Zimbabwe and we hope that PABX doesn't blow because the numbers are going to filter through that back into Stanimosh and we said we don't want that. USSD, the challenge with USSD is it's mobile, it's led by the MNOs. So this is a massive challenge for us in the insurance industry because the MNOs stole our lunch but they're not giving it back to us because they ate it already. So the problem you have is now having to engage with USSD, with USSD because that's where the customers, that's the system the customer is using. How do you get on board with the USSD? Because I promise you, you go to the big MNOs and they will not give you any access to USSD. Legally, they have to. In terms of openness and all of these kind of things, and the regulatory frameworks, they have to give you access, but they slow it down. So In Zimbabwe, we work typically, or in these countries, with the smaller m and who are looking for, cost, for customers, who are looking for more customers, and, uh, because we can acquire customers at a fraction of a the cost they can acquire a customer. Because we just issue a SIM card with our packs, and they get effectively the SIM card rolled out almost free of charge. But they can acquire customers. So when you go to the big MNOs, they say, I already have the customer. Whereas you go to the small ones, they're trying to chew into this thing. If you know Pac-Man, they are Pac-Man. They're really trying to get into this market. And having a conversation with them is much easier. So in every territory we've gone and the big players shut the door on us, the smaller, medium players actually open up the door. So we've had to think of clever ways of doing USSD and we are coming up with technology around that around bypassing, not bypassing, but coming up with our own U.S.S.D. framework that works actually on very, very thin um, data protocols. So the guy doesn't have to buy a lot of data. And it's going to be cheaper than a U.S.S.D. session, which in Africa is about five U.S. cents. So we're going to come in at one U.S. Uh, US uh, cent in Africa. And with that, we think people replace the U.S.S.D. over time. And then you've got the wonderful Zing app. Uh, Well, that's our full um, um, capability around the cell phone app. Um, It's a pity I can't show you. We're launching in um, July this year. I would have loved to have shown you a video clip on that. It's an amazing product, the way it interacts with the customer. But that's more for the top end customer and our agents. Our agents use that, and the top end customers will interface on that. And over time, we'll see the USSD customers hopefully moving across. Um, there's a database that you can go to GSMA and you can see actually the shift every year into the smartphone thing. Everyone's moving towards smartphones, so there's a major drive in, in, in that direction. that's happening, and do we need to be part of that curve? But recognize the customers are not all there yet. We spoke about claims early on, so it's quite simple. Um, the claims need to be simpler, accessible, and instant. So one of the things I'm going to share with you in the next slide is actually a, is actually um, the, how we do the claims. The process is patented, and uh, so I'm allowed to show you. You, you, the second, third audience to see this. Um, I did it in, um, burn about three weeks ago. Uh, obviously, we couldn't show this to the world until we had the patent secured. But I'll I'll, I'll share that with you, and um, it's quite exciting how we've actually. Uh, thought of a different way of processing claims. And when you look at it, you probably all turn around and say, but we could have done it. Um, the essence of it is born around the. So the, the core of the patent lies in the following you cannot introduce a patent without technology. You can't have a process and say, well, my process is patented. You have to put in technology. So all of you guys would understand what the database for an insurance company looks like in terms of the role players associated to an insurance contract. It's your main life assured, it's the additional lives. it's the beneficiaries, these are the role players, it's the agent or the broker. All we did is we added a brand new role player that had never been assigned to any insurance contract anywhere globally. And that role player is called a trusted elder. We go through a KYC process, we vet the trusted elder, we sign him up, and effectively he's an individual in society who will actually qualify whether something's happened to me or not. These things are, are apply. This is the reason why we patent it because we think this thing can apply in, in other income segments as well. So I live in an estate in 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 Cape Town. The the chairman of the homeowners. If anything happens to me, I promise you he'll know within an hour. He will know within an hour in our community because we're quite close. So he's going to know it's serious and he's going to know it's real. And he has no reason to turn around and say it's not true or it's. Um, to be fraudulent around it, because because you're dealing with societies around our model. The moment you become this fraudulent character in society, you get ostracized out of society, you become a pyra, and you get kicked out of the society, and that's worse, worse than death. Um, in Zimbabwe, where do you go? Or in Malawi, where do you go when you get kicked out of society? You haven't got money to climb on a plane and live in South Africa. So... I'll come to that slide, i see it's the one later. Obviously technology plays an instrumental role in this. We actually started out our business as, an, as a tech business. We were in the tech space for eight years before we moved into insurance space. I was at an Old Mutual actually, driving on the highway after I left Old Mutual, not knowing what my next venture would be, and phoned this individual up at a tech company. and. Um, he said to me, "No you, you have to come here and have a, have a drink because I'm, I've got a problem with my tech business. I, when I sat down with him, he said, "He wants it to be an insure tech." And he said, "Well you missed insurance, I am Mr. tech, let's build this business." And it became an insured tech and we moved it forward on the basis of insure tech. but we have immense amount of technology in our stack it, and it meets all of the global requirements for encryption. I mean, We've had banks sign off and do due diligence. We've had major corporate sign off. It has many, many elements in in play. I've just put on the screen a few of the snapshots, but on the the left-hand side, you'll see there's a slide there. That's the agent platform. It works actually on any phone or on a tablet or on a television set. You can use it anywhere, that front-end application, or on a PC or on a laptop and then on the right hand side are a few of the assets that you see in the consumer application. allows them to buy insurance, see what their bank balances are, uh, see every single transaction because with this model we know everything about the customer. That's a key thing to understand. We don't only know when the customer pays premiums or that we sold them an insurance policy on this date or that we renewed the policy on that date. We know everything in the life of the customer, everything and that sits on the Front-end application in that experience. We have a serv- server center side application ball. Um, I think there's um, eight other application suites in our portfolio, but the, the point I'm trying to make is that without investing in IT, you will not be in the space. The other thing I just want to comment on is that one has to be very careful about um, so if you take this initiative on board, in your organizations you need to be very careful about introducing any legacy from the existing organization. It has to be completely self-contained. None of the old IT, none of the old processes, none of the old people. That doesn't mean you don't bring people across, <laughs> but you just do not have this cross-pollination of people coming from the other side of the organization into this team that's building. They have to have a clear mandate. And if any of you guys got an influence of the CEO, it has to sit at the group CEO, this has to be something that the group CEO drives, else you will not get it right. It's one of the reasons why I left Old Mutual. They're a great business. I love them. It was probably the best company I've ever worked for. The people are amazing in that organization, but I could not get this right in that organization. This is just an example. Um, so the next set of slides, there's just three of them. I'm going to show you a few examples of what we're doing in some of the territories, so you guys can experience some of the elements of what I've shared with you now. But we are creating jobs. So I I, I said that it is insurance with economic development, and job creation is a fundamental pillar of economic uh, wealth creation. People without jobs can't participate in the economy. So we had this concept of a job in a box, where it gets issued with a tablet, with paraphernalia and kitten, they go through training, they get even business cards. (laughs) So, and they own these branches. So, they in the old world are branch managers. And they have foot soldiers underneath them. Uh, the ratio is 1 to 10 at this stage. And these foot soldiers go out and service customers wherever they can um, outside these branches. In Zimbabwe, we have 140 of these branches. Together, these branches make up more branches than the total financial services industry in Zimbabwe. But it's not a brick and mortar branch. But this branch can perform all the functions that an insurer can. In addition to it, we're doing banking functions now because we partner with a bank. The bank wants us to do all of the bank agency stuff. So we are able to do all of these kind of things. You see that bus there on the bottom left-hand side? That was when we did our launch, on the pre-launch. The excitement around the value proposition was huge, immense. We had people, I call them teapots, they're standing and saying, why can't I get one? So, and um, I must say to you that the package and the offering we have isn't insurance-led. We're not sending insurance policies. We are, but the customer gets it for free. That party gets for free. And You see there's an example of someone signing up as well. This is the demo I've got on the claims. You must be patient. The reason is that it is going to take about five minutes. But the reason why I want to leave it at five minutes, I could have shortened it, is I want to show you the experience in its entirety. I could have shortened it, but this is the actual experience and process and how long it takes.
2: Zingshaw understands the challenges that people face when processing a funeral claim. Insurers always want you to complete complex claims forms as well as submit supporting documents, which include burial orders, death certificates and police reports. This is frustrating as generally the insurers promises to pay within 24 hours. What they did not tell you is that they will only approve and pay the claim once all claim forms have been completed and you have delivered all your supporting documents. Only thereafter does the 24-hour payment promise kick in. It is more often than not days before this is all concluded satisfactorily. Thereafter, it often requires you to travel long distances between your home and the insurance branch with wasted time standing in long queues to get your supporting documents processed. Receiving a benefit payout costs you money, and in the end, You must sacrifice a portion of your benefit that you were expecting to be paid out. Why does it sometimes feel like the insurer wants to make it difficult to claim? In the end, is it all worth the effort? Zingshor's patented claims process takes just a few minutes and is simple to do. You do not need to complete any complex claims forms, nor do you need to travel long distances or bring a burial order, death certificate and police report. All you need to do is engage with your trusted elder. The trusted elder is a nominated trusted member in your community that will assist you in processing your claim.
3: Good day, my name is Chiedza, I'm calling you from Zingshuo. Am I speaking to Ms. Tichikomo? Yes, you are. Ms. Tichikomo, I'm calling in regards to the claim that you've just done for Rafael Tonderai. Is this a good time for you to talk, sir? Yes, it is. Yes. Firstly, I would like to pass my condolences to you and the family. I'm here to assist you to process this claim as fast as possible, so I'm going to need to confirm a few details from you first before um, we start the process. May I please have your ID number, your date of birth and your cell phone number.
4: Okay, my name is Ephraim Chikomo, I'm a trusted elder for the ZCC, my ID number is
3: 6311508532J42 and my phone number is 072-318-550. Thank you very much sir. I will also need some details for Tondarai Raphael, May I please have his ID number, his date of birth, and the cell phone number that he was using? Okay, let me just check that really
4: quickly. Uh, his ID number is 98299641G49. Uh, his date of birth was the 12th uh, of April
3: 1962, and the phone number that he was using before he passed on was 0773. 315680 Thank you very much sir. May I please have the beneficiary's date of birth and ID number. Okay, his beneficiary will be his wife. Her name is Miriam. Your phone. Her ID number is 63 63 111 one, one.
4: One. 540 five, 123
3: 123 Yeah. 61. 61. Miriam Glovo. That's correct. Thank you very much. May I please have Miriam's cell phone number? My cell phone number is 077. 077. 519. 519. 528. 528. Thank you very much. So you said Miriam is his wife. Correct. I've just sent you an SMS with a one time pin. May you please confirm the PIN that I've sent to you?
4: 3051
3: 3051 Thank you very much, sir. I'm going to note some details in regards to the passing of Kudzai again. When did you pass on, sir?
4: Kudzai passed on two days
3: ago. Was the deceased involved in any criminal or government-related activities at the time of his death? And um, was he consuming any alcohol or illegal drugs prior to his death? No. Did you verify the body, sir? Yes, I actually
4: went to the hospital
3: So you passed away at the hospital? That's correct. Thank you, sir. I've just sent a message now to the recipient with the fortune number that they are going to use to collect the money. They will need to take either an ID, passport, or they have to take a driver's license to collect the money. Is there anything else that you might need help with? That is all. Thank you very much for your help. Thank you very much, sir, for assisting me. The claim has been successfully processed.
2: So you see, Zingshaw's Patent and Claims process is simple. We process a claim in minutes.
1: All you need to do is go to your trusted elder. So the interesting thing about Zimbabwe is that um, in this three-year, amazing journey, we had um, uh, we designed a model completely for cash. There's only cash in Zim, and in March, between March and so in that quarter, March last year, the cash just disappeared. Uh, Zimbabwe's had a bit of an impasse moment, like Kenya moved to mobile money because the banks were closed for I think it was a week or so. In Zimbabwe's case, there was a shift completely to cards, probably in the space of three months. So you can imagine what it did to our business model because we had to change damn fast and to look at uh, for strategic partnerships and alliances in the banking industry, something we wouldn't have done initially, because if you're dealing with cash, you don't need to deal with a bank other than doing a, doing a deposit. So um, an amazing experience. Now, you see that video clip was taken um, where the guy's paying cash, but we are now able to pay actually through other uh, mobile network operators, uh, through our own cash points, and also directly into the uh, mobile wallet, our mobile wallet. It's not an m o model. Our model is not m driven. It's um, entirely agnostic. So we have our own mobile wallet capability and banking card capability. So we've integrated an umbilical cord between the retail banking and the mobile wallet. So we're the only mobile wallet solution in the world that we think can actually transfer money from retail banking instantly into a mobile wallet and the other way around. So we'll be different as the money arrives in the mobile wallet, but you can take it out instantly. You're not forced to spend it in our ecosystem. Um, again, this is a customer value proposition thing. We discovered when we went and asked customers, they said they don't trust mobile wallets because they put the money in and they can't take it out. In our case, we move between the formal banking system and the mobile wallet instantly. So, this is a slide that just uh, shows all the components around economic developments where, we, where we've started doing work. I'm uh, engaging already international with, internationally with grant funders around these elements um, or components. But you see in the middle of the slide, there's the first component. We started the journey with one which is effectively um, financial inclusion, focusing on offering customers access to insurance and to banking. Um, we distribute that through our branches or agents and that piece is in play already. What we're working on now is on the very right hand side is around mechanizing agriculture and it's born on a simple idea that I had and uh, when you start to look at how much trillions of dollars have been plowed into food security globally, it um, it is horrendous. But it's food security for a family or for a small society. It's actually not looking at providing um, uh, impact on GDP. And so I was in Switzerland recently now at a, at a, at a forum in which I had challenged food security and I said we need to up the stakes. And I said I, the reason is because I've travelled all over Zimbabwe and Malawi and in Zambia and on these roads where I go out, uh, the farmers are still using old equipment. So the, the land looks like it's been tilled properly with a tractor but Um, For example, between Blantyre and the lake of Malawi, I saw one single tractor working. I actually stopped and asked the farmer, so how long have you been doing this 10 hectares? And he said, no, I started yesterday morning, I think I'll be finished today. I stopped at another piece of land that was being tilled. The guy said they'd been busy for three weeks and they were only halfway. So the problem with Africa is we need to mechanise it but it will be on a mutual basis, so cooperatives where communities can share tractors and mechanization. So We are really working in that space to try and see how we can uplift and uh, bring mechanization into Africa. And I firmly believe, and this is the vision, is that 20% of the GDP output for agriculture will come from this sector by just mechanizing them because they'll have so much food, they can't use it themselves from a food security perspective and they'll start to share it with the economy. Uh, schools in a can. We're busy with um, work now on a a mobile application, a bit like Monopoly, but please it's not like Monopoly. Monopoly is too complex. Um, But um, offers serious financial incentives, free cover, free data, um, free things that have a meaning in the life of these customers. And we engaged there with a grant organization, they actually think that that platform will go viral globally and it's a simple way to teach people financial education. It includes insurance, includes investments, includes lending, um, savings, all of those important things, but also the basics of financial education around what's an income statement, you know, what is profit, and um, so we're very excited about that. I'll be presenting in Morocco the first um, version of that application to a grant audience. Um, we were coming to a conference in Morocco in July, I think it is. That's it. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Thanks very much, Mark. Um, we have got some time for a couple of questions. I think it's a very interesting topic and a very, very, very topical one given the, the TCF discussion we've just had. So, a couple of questions from the floor. Thank you. <coughs>
4: Okay, Smobile here. I want to find out uh, in the context of uh, micro insurance in the rest of Africa, in particular in Zimbabwe. um, I I grew up there and uh, what's happening is your target market um, is the same target market for funeral parlors and even the big insurance companies that sell funeral policies. So, what I'm struggling with is to understand um, why was there a need of a micro insurance framework. work? Um, considering that um, there are already players there doing uh, what you are doing. Um, yeah, I think it's exactly the same what you're doing, except that uh, you are sort of ahead with uh, technology. Then my second question is, um, with the trusted elder, it looks like a full-time job, do you pay them?
1: Um, You're actually right, Um, so the value proposition that we have is very, very different in terms of how we're rolling into these communities. um, if I go back to the costing model on the combined ratio, we're able to penetrate this market at a substantially lower base than the existing legacy insurance uh, market. To so, uh, give you an idea, in South Africa our premium is about a third of the cost of the South African premium for the equivalent cover. So, It's born on the efficiency, so we're able to penetrate this market at scale. We know we're up against the M&O's because they captured, as I said, our lunch a while back. But we're pretty, pretty positive about it. It doesn't mean we won't work with insurance companies in these, in these territories. We, we will partner going forward um, in all of the territories with insurance companies. And so we have done that already in Zimbabwe. Um, so what I didn't say to you is that uh, we have acquired an insurance company in Zimbabwe as well as part of the licenses that we've acquired. Uh, so we, we really still think there will be a partnership between ourselves and the rest of the industry. Um, then, just on the funeral side, we're not competing with the funeral parlors. We, we don't want to be in that space. Um, it's um, uh, what we are doing is we're paying out the final expense, and it's a more of a final cash um, on the on the death of a, of a member in the family than actually providing for the funeral. So there, in the funeral space, we're actually seeing that the funeral providers are actually very excited by our value proposition because they can see it will dovetail in quite nicely with. You know the coffin stuff and the flowers and the ceremony and arrangement. So um, I think it's actually going to be something that works quite well or blends quite well. Then your point about the trusted elder, um, you're not, or you an actuary. <laughs> okay. So um, obviously the number of trusted elders we need is based on our mortality experience. We calculate exactly what it is, and um, you can do the calculation now. Um, it's a single event that the guy might have to be involved. That's you know, the 2,000 deaths aren't going to happen with the one individual. They could, but they don't. Um, so we, we we do do a calculation around the number of trusted dollars that we need in each of these societies, and it is based on our mortality estimate. We don't have enough data here to actually start driving our own mortality assumptions, but we use this estimate. Yes, we do pay. A, uh, so they paid for for doing the task. So they paid five dollars. Give an idea. They paid five dollars for every um, you saw the interaction there with the trusted elder, they get paid $5. But there's other things, they, they, they get. Um, the, the trusted elder gets free um, insurance in our model, they belong to our programme for free, they brand ambassadors, because they are already brand ambassadors, so we didn't want to destroy the brand of these large organisations, and so they draw that. Two good questions. Opportunity, so
0: opportunity for one more. Sorry, um, just a question. I'm, I'm, uh, I think when you, you compare this to the Uber moment, and I think if we look at a lot of other technology movements, maybe Facebook, Airbnb, all of these started overseas, but the main customers initially was always middle and upper market. And only once they ran out of that customers, they actually go looking for lower end. So, for example, Uber will have no impact on a, on a guy taking a minibus taxi because they still can't afford it. So, what are we going to do different in the insurance? To make this technology go directly to the low income or, or are we going to see the same thing where it will first be introduced into a, a upper market and then filter on?
1: So we, we did um, very bravely start out by penetrating at the bottom end of the segment and fail. Uh, you do have to start this process um, on the edge of the mass market and then come backwards into foundation and then obviously go up. From mass into potentially um, affluent markets, so it's a very good question. We failed on that. We actually went in there assuming that this would all work and it would be wonderful, uh, not realizing that this layer of society gets looked after by the next income segment. So we we're definitely in the upper mass uh, sorry in the upper foundation spaces where we've started out. Uh, so I would say we're between that and into the mid mass market space, but we do know that there's additional. Requirements down the line, and we have products for the, for that f- to evolve. That we we want to first do the sign-ups of the leaders within these organisations from an income distribution perspective, and it sits at that uh, upper end foundation market into into the mass space.
0: Great, <coughs> right, thanks. Thanks very much, Mark. We really do appreciate your, you. your contributions. member um, <laughs> <round of applause. coughs> Mark, the very much for your